Welcome to the bridge. It's good to see you guys, which is the part of the morning um, where we get to um, hear from you guys on particular um, your in particular your thoughts about a question that's been posed usually by the person who is speaking. So this morning, Sarah's offered us this question. What have you learned from nature? So I'm just giving you a minute. I'm gonna share something and then just because you might need a minute to think about what you've learned from nature, but um, nature has taught me that beyond just the fact that we have a lot of seasons, um, and each season kind of has its own um, structure to it and things that are happening. Seasons are not always the same. For instance, our fall is a lot different than most falls are. And it doesn't mean it's not fall. It just means it's different. And so if I translate that to seasons in my life, I can go, okay, so I've been in this season before, but it doesn't feel the same as the season I was in that I'm, I'm having some connection with. And it allows me to experience things in my life without feeling like they have to fit in a particular box. So that was my thought on what I've learned from nature. If you want to add something into the mix here, um, please unmute. Um, Morgan will try to find you. So you will be on the little screen. And, um, and then when you're finished sharing what you want to share, just mute yourself again so we can't um, hear everything in the background at your house. Who'd like to go first? I'll go. Uh, so, Casey, um, I'm willing for this to be on the recording. I have no problem with that. Um, I think the first thing that came to mind was um, just that nature in its its very essence is chaotic. And um, we have a lot of tools to try and predict what's going to happen in nature, um, but they're not always perfect. And yeah, sometimes nature just does what it wants to do, um, whether that's a, a wild storm or an unexpectedly sunny day. And and that's always just something that that I try to think about when when I think about the way that life can be chaotic and unpredictable. That's it. Good thoughts, Casey. Anybody else? Hi, it's me, Damien. Hi, um, Damien. Hi. Um, well, some of you may know, or maybe you don't. Uh, I like birds, so I am always looking for birds and trying to uh, identify new birds. And I just see the intelligence, divine intelligence imprinted on them, just how they behave and how they defend their nest. And 
I mean, I don't know if the colors has to do with the intelligence, but that's that's the intelligence of, of God, anyways. So I mean, I'm always excited to see new birds. It's just I just almost feel like um in a, a an awesome worship service or something like that. So yeah. Thanks, Damien. We've got um, Lynn showing something on the chat that I'll just share. Uh, that incredibly important and significant things go on underground, like trees actually communicate with each other and give each other nutrients when needed by way of fungi. Whoa. That fungi, which seem unexceptional, are completely amazing. You know what, there is nothing like watching documentaries about nature to learn all kinds of stuff, right? That's amazing. Thanks, Lynn. I, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm struck by the, I guess how God shows some of his personality in, in creating nature. He's so generous, like each little leaf with its, I know, not a scientist, but those little lines that shape it and um, each flower, it's just, it's incredible. And I think um, if he delights in shaping all these little things way more excessively than he would have had to, then I think, well, and he's our artist, he made us and that cares for us. Thanks, Kathy. I think Lee is going to share something. Yeah, hi. Sorry, I haven't got a visual today. I don't want to scare people. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just got back from visiting some people we love dearly. Um, this does pertain to nature, but I'll get there in a minute. Uh, the household was pretty loud, pretty busy, and just intense and stimulated all the time, every minute. And what nature did for me, and what, what it always does for me, but in particular, what it did for me in, in that situation was just to bring it down a notch. So uh, I felt my whole mind, body, and soul calming when I would uh, disengage and, and go for a walk with my husband and look at nature and talk about nature and focus in on that one red leaf and that huge tree of everything was green, but that one little red leaf was saying, nope, I'm packing it in, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some people call it grounding. And, and yesterday in my, in my um, you know, dive into the, into the interwebs, I uh, came across something that said grounding isn't just a, a feeling, it's a phys physiological fact in that um, blood cells actually become more aligned and less clumped up. Uh, so right down to the cellular level, it indeed does calm us. Thanks. That's cool. Thanks, Lee. Um, Myrna says on the chat, it's where we can find clarity and peace and where I hear God clearest. So in line with what Lee was saying, too, um, Vernon and Sarah added the variety in creation from the wildly simple to the wildly complex and the beauty in all of it, just like people. 
And uh, uh, Damien, Damien wants to let us know that he uses the Audubon app, which is a perfect identification tool. They're all very good. There is all kinds of apps that can really help you with stuff in nature, um, kind of on the fly. And Jeff says, I echo that, Kathy. Nature shows God's extravagance, such incredible beauty and detail all over the place where nobody will ever notice. Also, nature shows God's predictability, consistency, and also unpredictability, but more than anything, extravagant life. Wow, that's really good. Um, I think we're going to switch to um, heading over to communion. But just before we do that, um, we have um, someone in our community, and she's with us online this morning. She's with... Um, Brittany, uh, it's Tara Friesen. Um, her mom passed away this week, and um, she she was sick for a very long time. But this is Tara's mom, and that really really matters. Um, I had my mom for a way lot longer than Tara did, and I know how difficult it is when they pass. And so um, we'll. We'll set something up um, to show our expressions of um, care and love for Tara and her husband, Michael. Um, but we'll also um, just wanna be praying for her and, um, and anything that um, comes to mind, if you want to um, send notes of encouragement or um, texts or something like that, we can set you up with that. Uh, maybe just send it through the office. But let's just pray for Tara now. <clears throat> Jesus, I ask that um, you would come and you would hold Tara and her sister and her dad. And would you let them know how very, very close you are to them during these really, really sad days? Would you strengthen them with what brings them life? Would you show them beauty in the middle of this sorrow? And would you help them to not just want to um, skirt around grief? Because it too, like some of the things in nature that we don't see, it has its purpose. Give them strength. We love you, Tara. Amen. Let's move to communion. Okay. So as I was thinking about uh, what, to, what to bring for communion, um, it always makes me reflect just on what communion means to me. Um, and so I found this liturgy that I'm going to that I'm going to read through from a website called inflesh.com. Um, hopefully it's something that hasn't, this one, this specific one hasn't been done too recently, or maybe it hasn't been done at all. Um, but my own personal thought about uh, when I read this liturgy was just how, to me, there's something mysterious and that happens during communion. I don't, I don't fully know what it is. Um, but I personally don't fully, I don't see it as just a symbol 
I see it that there's something um, that happens, whether it's out in the universe or whether it's in our hearts uh, when we take communion together. So this is called communion for broken and blessed bodies. We bring our sacred bodies to the beloved. It is healing to bring our whole selves to God. Let us give thanks to God who cares about our fleshly flourishing. To the spirit who joins us in our suffering and redemption. God, we come to your table of mystery, holding the heartbreaking and the hopeful in the same handful. We gather to remember your teaching, your suffering and your example of new life. As we remember your body broken, we honor the suffering of our own beloved bodies too. From the cruelty and shrapnel of war, inadequate and inaccessible healthcare, inevitable accidents and illness of life, our bodies and our hearts break, oh God. From work that bows our backs and wears our resilience, violence directed towards gender oppressed people, state-sanctioned state violence aimed at black and brown beloveds. Our bodies and hearts break, oh God. Guns in the hands of the vengeful, laws in the hands of the out of touch, prison systems that enslave and rip families apart. Our bodies and hearts break, oh God. Big Pharma who profits as overdoses escalate, species suffering, through climate collapse, people fleeing and fighting storms, fires, and drought. Our bodies and hearts break, O oh God. Like us, Jesus was broken, broken by the ways of empire, beaten up by unjust systems. He cried out to God and asked, why? He was betrayed by a friend. His mother wept. And like us, Jesus was blessed anointed with oil by his beloved, Mary, accompanied through his wanderings by a group of friends. He drank wine at dinner parties, sat with children, and took time to be alone. We remember one night of life and death, co-mingling in particular. Before Jesus was arrested, he gathered with his friends for a meal, as he often did. He took bread, gave thanks to God, and like his body would break, he broke the bread. He shared it with his disciples saying, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And when supper was over, he took the cup, red like his blood, and gave thanks to God. He gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of the new covenant. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Beloveds, the table of broken hearts and new life is set. Bring your blessed bodies forward that we might share in God's meal together. Living Christ, Thank you for this meal that nourishes our bodies and spirits. By feasting on this bread of life, your presence reminds us of our belovedness, even when broken. 
for you, holy mystery, companion us through all things. Thanks be for your sustaining love. Amen. That was by Reverend Molly Bolton. So I'm just going to pray for Sarah now, and then she's going to take the reins for speaking. God, we want to thank you this morning for Sarah. We want to thank you for her whole self that she always brings to gatherings uh, into this community. We thank you for the tireless service um, that that she shows this and has shown for many years to this community. We pray that she would experience the peace and the rest of your Holy Spirit this morning as she shares. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Casey. Um, I like that liturgy. That was cool. I'm going to, I clicked the link. Hey, if that ever happens that there's a link in the chat that you go, oh, I want to see that. Um, and by the time the, the thing is over, the chat has disappeared. It's gone. So click it now. It will open in a different window and you can just hide it there and keep it there for another time. That's just free Zoom world information and nothing to do with my talk. Um, but here we go. Um, I love that uh, your answers to the roundtable. I probably don't need to preach. You're, you're all good. So I'll we'll be off. Uh, no, okay, I should. Um, I had a friend a long time ago who had a terrible time remembering names. Her solution was to call everyone lovely. Um, it made everyone feel good. And come to think of it, she actually wasn't really a friend, more like somebody I ran into every now and again. But she felt like a friend because she called me lovely. So it felt like she was my friend. Um, she made everyone feel really good because everyone got called lovely. And I have a feeling that even though God actually does know our names, I think God calls us lovely too. I think I think that's like God's pet name for everyone is, oh, look at you. Welcome here, lovely. Um, I think God calls us that because loved is what we are. So if you have somebody sitting next to you, tell them you are loved. If there's nobody sitting next to you, look at yourself and say you are loved because you are. That is just how it works. For God so loved the world includes you. You are lovely. So you can't have loved as the answer to this question, but can you describe yourself in one word? Okay, you can't have loved. Everyone has that. That's just a free. Um, everyone gets loved, but try for another. So you can pop it in the chat and just answer the thing. I am. You can't have loved anything else. If chat is not available to you, then just say it out loud. But if you want to pop it in the chat, that'd be great. I am. So mine, I'm going to go creative. Throw it in. And you can read these words. Passionate, nurturing, valuable, left-handed, loyal, fun, provided for, worth providing for, curious, nice. Okay. Um, also, let's do another one as well. Um, just take a moment to feel what's going on inside of you. Take a little check-in with yourself. How are you feeling this morning? And this time, I am feeling... So I am feeling whatever it is. 
realize I'm feeling excited about sharing this message, which is quite fun. Uh, relaxed, anxious, bubbling tension kind of a thing, tired, at peace, at peace, hopeful, optimistic, menopausal, grateful, all kinds of things. We'll just leave that there. It's really good every now and again to check in with ourselves. And especially when we're connected on a screen and we're not connected in the same space. When we're in the same space, we kind of line up with each other. We kind of, we can mirror, we can we can feel how each other are feeling. But in this space, it's difficult. It's hard to do. So it's uh, just a little check-in is nice to know. Um, so we'll just leave that there. Um, For God so loved the world includes creation. Jesus was a student of nature, a teacher of nature. And, and he used the book of creation to teach from quite often. He also taught from and about the book of the law, but the book of creation featured a lot. I didn't do the research. I could have done it, but I didn't to find out what percentage of each of those things he taught from. Um, so I'm not going to make anything up, but he did teach from creation and he did teach from the law. So from the round table, it seems like you guys have learned from that book as well. And even though we are as Western house dwelling folk, highly domesticated, and we spend a great deal of time housebound or vehicle bound, we are also wild little bits of nature. And nature can speak to us because it's what we are, or at least it would if we were quiet enough to listen to it. Our series, as you know, is Blessed are the Peacemakers, for they will be called Children of God. Part of peacemaking is making peace with, reconciling with, and realizing how connected we are with, like um, Nicole taught us uh, a few weeks ago, that we are connected with the earth, with the natural world and with each other. And perhaps we are here to make peace for all of us, for every creature, every plant, every human on the planet. I believe we have so much to learn from creation and our connectedness to one another and the world around us. And I think Jesus modeled it. And if it's good enough for Jesus, well, then it's probably good enough for us. We should at least have a go. Jesus lived in the wild and spent time in the wilderness. And he wasn't the first person that we read about in the Bible who did that. There were lots and lots of others. You've only got to like open the Bible in the Old Testament and they're all pretty much living in the wild. Um, the old Bible people were much wilder than we are. And even the people that Jesus hung out with in his time would have understood their surroundings and perhaps be more connected with nature around them than we are. And some of his illustrations probably make a bit more sense to him than they do to us. But I think that all of us will have some context for the illustration that Jesus gives us in this passage. It comes towards the end of Luke 6. I think context makes a difference um, to help us understand where it's coming from. Luke put it there for a reason. Like it wasn't like he was taking taking dictation from what was happening. He was like, OK, this story goes with this one, goes with this one, because I want to say this. Um, I think plucking a verse or two out of the context of the whole arc of scripture can make us do really weird things with it. And the more I teach little isolated bits of the Bible, the more I think that's a pretty dangerous game. But I only have time for two little verses and two little verses is all that I actually had in the lectionary for today. So I'm going to just do a quick overview of chapter six and then I'm going to narrow it down to the two little verses that we have for today. So this is Luke six. The chapter is really busy. There's a lot going on. It starts with two examples of Jesus and his disciples breaking the Sabbath laws. Firstly, because he is no slave to the Sabbath, but rather in charge of it. And secondly, the Sabbath is for doing good and for helping people, not for doing evil and harming them. 
then he goes off by himself into the wilderness to pray. And when he comes back, he chooses his apostles. He then teaches these disciples, starting off Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. And this chapter includes his version of the Beatitudes as well. I told you it was busy. Then he teaches them how to love their enemies. And then we get to verse 37 where I'm going to start. So um, I am going to do it like this. Any second now. There we go. So. This is Luke 6. It says, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. This is the message you can tell. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life and you'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way Generosity begets generosity. To sum it up, don't judge others. It'll come back and bite you. Be generous in your evaluation. Next bit. He quoted a proverb. Can a blind man guide a blind man? Wouldn't they both end up in the ditch? An apprentice doesn't lecture the master. The point is to be careful who you follow as your teacher. So having said, don't judge, it'll come back and bite you. He says, however, do judge and do look carefully at who you follow as your teacher. Maybe judge them just a little. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you? When your own face is distorted by contempt. It's this I know better than you mentality again, playing a holier than thou part instead of just living your own part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. That's the whole, you know, plank spec business. And so while you're looking at who you follow, don't forget to apply that kind of scrutiny to yourself. And then this is the passage for today. This is the two verses. You don't get wormy apples off a healthy tree nor good apples off a diseased tree. The health of the apples tells the health of the tree. You must begin with your own life-giving lives. It's who you are, not what you say and do that counts. Your true being brims over into true words and deeds. We'll come back to that in just a minute, but let's just finish the chapter off. Why are you so polite with me, always saying, yes, sir, and that's right, sir, but never doing a thing I tell you? These words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Jesus is saying, you can take my words seriously and put them into action. Because if you work the words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who dug deep and laid the foundation of his house on bedrock. When the river burst its banks and crashed against the house, nothing could shake it. It was built to last. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a dumb carpenter who built a house but skipped the foundation. When the swollen river came crashing in, it collapsed like a house of cards. It was a total loss. That's the whole chapter. I feel like Jesus is telling us, okay, to sum up, watch out and use discernment in who we listen to and learn from, but not be quick to jump on other people's faults, but pay attention to our own stuff. I think he's talking about listening to him but not only listening, but doing what he says. So let's just go back to the part for today about the tree and its fruit. Uh, I'm going to switch versions 
and go to the NIRV, it says this, a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. You can tell each tree by the kind of fruit it bears. People do not pick figs from thorns and they don't pick grapes from bushes. A good man says good things. These come from the good that is stored up in his heart. An evil man says evil things. These come from the evil that is stored up in his heart. A person's mouth says everything that is in their heart. So, a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. This is the phrase that rolled around in my head since I realised I was up to speak this weekend, which actually only happened on Tuesday. So, oh no, it's me. Okay, I can do it. Um, so anyway, this is the passage from the Women's Lectionary for the Whole Church, which is the lectionary that we're using throughout this year. So a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit. A bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. What is Jesus talking about? Is that even true? He's using nature and the way that nature works to teach us something, but what? Is it about biology, horticulture, fruit growing, people? people? Is it about us? Is it about other people? Is it about how we live? Is it about who we follow? Is it about other leaders who set themselves up as teachers? Or is it about himself as the teacher? And from the context of the whole chapter, it may be quite a few of those things. It may be all of them, or it may not be. I don't know. You could have a totally different idea, and I'm cool with that. But let's just talk about the biology and the horticulture of this, because of all the things that he was teaching, this probably wasn't about that. But it is interesting. And perhaps the nature of it has something to teach us. Maybe we can take a careful read from the book of nature in this word picture that Jesus gives us and get something from it. So a good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. But is that true? Does a good tree only grow good fruit? Doesn't bad fruit sometimes grow on good trees? So I was just like, I don't know, is that true? If Jesus is talking about himself, then what evidence is there in his life? What fruit did Jesus's life demonstrate? A casual flip through the Gospels gives us plenty of stories and it shows us people he helped and healed and set free and gave dignity to where they had none. He spoke kindly to people. He challenged people in power. He encouraged people to think. He encouraged mercy and showing mercy and he showed it himself and on and on. You know, all the Jesus-y things. If Jesus is telling his hearers to look at what he does and what he says to judge whether he is worth following, then I think he is. But then again, if I didn't, I wouldn't be here. Um, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while since I took a look through like a whole chunk. And I'm thinking that we have 42 days between now and the start of Advent. And that gives us time to go through all of Luke and all of Mark chapter a day and still have a few days to spare. So I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a like a long look at Jesus again, um, as he's told by two of the people who walked on the road with him, because I think if we can get a grip of what Jesus did, then we can see how that works out in us too. back to trees. If you want to join me on that challenge, feel free, Mark and Luke. Maybe I'll just document it as I go through on the Instagram. Um, anyway, back to trees. What if it's about people as well about as well as about Jesus? It doesn't have to be either or, maybe it could be both. 
sometimes fruit does grow on bad trees because it's part of the cycle of life for the tree. When fruit is overripe, it falls off to rot on the ground or an animal eats it. By falling to the ground, the seeds or the pits or the pips are able to take root in the rotted fruit, which becomes instant fertilizer and they grow another plant in the ground. If an animal picks it up, that fertilizer comes out with the animal in another place as they deposit it. Um, she said nicely, fruit doesn't frequently grow bad on the tree because it mostly falls off before it becomes ripe enough to go bad, but it does happen. Mostly though, if fruit does go bad on a tree, it's because the conditions aren't ideal. Good trees grow fruit that can go bad because outside things like bugs and environmental challenges affect the tree and then its fruit. But on the whole, good trees grow good fruit. My hairdresser has an apple tree in her front yard. Actually, she's got a few. Um, back in November last year, her property turned into a lake or returned to being a lake when the flood happened. This year, the apple trees, which are usually amazing growers, are producing really bad apples. She said it's they're all blighted. You take them off. They look good on the outside, but you take it off and you cut into that thing and it's just gross inside. She's given up trying to find enough apples to do anything with and is just letting them ripen and fall to the ground. Perhaps the tree didn't like having its feet in water for so long. It was not ideal growing conditions. And I, I wonder what this extended drought that we're having right now is going to do to the trees. I mean, you can see them struggling right now. You can hear their crispiness. Her apple trees are good trees. They have been good previously and they may well be good again and produce good fruit but they've been dealing with a really hard situation this year. And so despite being good trees, they are having a hard time producing good fruit. When I asked the question at the beginning to sum yourself up in one word, did anyone say I am good? You could have. We maybe all should have, because we like those apple trees are good. We're good inside. Sometimes we produce good fruit because that's what good trees and good people do. So what kind of fruit is that? Well, according to Paul, the spirit in us produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Sometimes we produce that kind of stuff because within us is goodness himself with a capital G. We have love in us with a capital L. The kingdom of God in the person of Jesus has come and he gave us the presence of the Holy Spirit in us to do the good that he intended us to do. We are good inside. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes stuff comes at us that makes that hard. And we forget that good fruit comes from the goodness inside of us as we live our everyday lives. Because we live in this world and this world is hard and sometimes it's less than ideal. And we are kind of metaphorically standing up to our knees in water, just like, what the heck? And sometimes living up to doing and saying good all the time is a difficult thing to do. Well, it is for me anyway. You might be awesome at it, but, you know, um, sometimes there is less love and more dislike. Sometimes there is less joy and more misery. Sometimes there is less peace and more frustration. Sometimes there's less kindness and more unkindness. Sometimes there's less goodness and more meanness, less faithfulness, more betrayal, less gentleness, more violence, less self-control and more greed and mayhem. Because 
Sometimes, like my hairdresser's apple trees, our conditions for growth and, our, and living are not ideal. We struggle with the things that come against us and life happens and it's hard and stuff comes out sideways, like those apples that are looking okay, but are actually when you chop them in half, just like, what's going on in there? Sometimes we do and say ugly things, but it doesn't mean that we are bad on the inside. Not at all. I think it means that we might have forgotten momentarily that we are good on the inside. And we need to remind ourselves that we are good on the inside and get up and go again. But Jesus also talks about bad trees, bad trees that don't grow good fruit. And I was like, well, what are they then? Perhaps he's encouraging his followers to look at the lives and teachings of others that they could choose to follow in comparison to his life and teaching. If he's saying, I'm a good tree, good fruit, look at those guys over there. Not such good fruit. And I think the temptation, if it's about people, is to look at someone doing something mean or dumb or whatever it is that isn't on that list of Holy Spirit gifts of life and think, well, they're bad on the inside then. But are they? I don't think so. I think perhaps they've just forgotten that they're good on the inside too. What are bad trees? Are they the ones that actually don't grow any fruit? And is that down to them? Or is it that they're just trying to grow in the wrong place or in the wrong conditions? There is a guy in my street who has banana trees, like, you know, palms, growing in tubs on his driveway. And bless those trees, they have never produced bananas or dates. I mean, there may be date palms, but neither of those things. They can't. They're in the wrong place. They're not meant to be able to do that. Um, they don't stand a chance of growing fruit. Although maybe with the temperature this year, maybe he's just ahead of the curve. Anyway, um, I don't know. Some trees take many, many years before they're ready to produce any fruit. A regular apple tree, if you plant it as a little baby apple tree, can take up to eight years to produce any fruit for you. Patience is the name of the game. If you grow trees from a seed, it can take up to 15 years to produce fruit. So are those trees bad until they do? No. They're just growing. Do they turn good when they finally start producing fruit? No. They've been good all along. They're just not ready to do anything with their goodness. I don't know if I'm taking all of this a bit far. I might be stretching it just a little bit. Um, but I feel like it's important for us to remember that we are good. When we mess up, we are still good. When we do good, it's an overflow of the fact that we have been made good in the first place because of the goodness, the Holy Spirit who lives in us. A good tree doesn't bear bad fruit and a bad tree doesn't bear good fruit. You can tell each tree by the kind of fruit that it bears. People do not pick figs from thorns and they don't pick grapes from bushes. A good man says good things. These come from the good that is stored up in his heart. An evil man says evil things. These come from the evil that is stored up in his heart. A person's mouth says everything that is in their heart. So can we learn a lesson from the trees? Can they teach us to enjoy the good fruit when it grows and generously give it to those who might spread the seeds of it further afield? Or can they teach us not to give up when rotten fruit appears, but to remember just to let it go? Let it drop to the ground. A different time will come. Conditions will be right for goodness to flow in good fruit and not get frustrated, but be patient with ourselves. 
the trees beat themselves up. Like you never see a tree beating itself up. It just drops its fruit, sheds its leaves, takes a rest and goes again. Should we beat ourselves up? No. Drop the fruit, get rid of what you need to, take a rest, get up and go again. And remember that you are good inside. It's who we are, not what we say and do that counts. Our true being brims over into true words and deeds. Okay, I've got a few questions. And I'm gonna just throw it up so you can see. Oh, I'm gonna have to skip through all of these again. Okay, so it's not who we are, not what we say and do that counts. Our true being brims over into true words and deeds. I need to shuffle. You can see the whole thing. So who are you? I want you just to ask yourself these questions. Who are you? Because it's who we are, not what we say and do that counts. Our true being brims over into true words and deeds, but it's who we are that counts. Who are you? And then what would Jesus say about that word that you settled on? Does he agree with you? Or perhaps does he have anything else he would suggest instead of or as well as that word? If you want a do-over of a word in the chat, you can have a do-over right now. And you can have love this time if you want it. You can have good. Who are you? And then how might that spill over into what you do and say this week? Sometimes we forget, like Jeff says, that our true selves are one with God. So God, I pray that you would help us to remember that that is the case. That when things come out sideways, we would just let that drop to the floor, get rid of what we need to, take a rest and go again. Remind us that we are good because you are good and you live in us. And we live in you. And there's this whole thing that goes around and around in circles. There is nowhere we can be where we are not in you. So God, just remind us of that in every moment as we go into this week. Amen. Just, um, I'm going to leave you with a blessing and, uh, and then just remind you of a couple of last minute things that um, uh, you might want to remember going into this week so you can plan ahead. So may the creator, the great creator, the good creator, the one who reflects to us through all of nature, speak peace to our hearts and wrap us in perfect love. Amen.